0: is uh, all about uh, Jesus made some statements in the book of John that, where he said, I am this. And there's seven different statements, I am statements, that he made. And we're looking at four of them. The first two that we took a look at was Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And so the first week we looked at the relationship between the shepherd, which is Jesus, and the sheep, which is us And we talked about how he protects us, he guides us, he leads us, he comforts us, and the job and the characteristics of Jesus as the shepherd. And then last week, we looked at Jesus where he said, I am the light of the world. And we looked at how he said, I'm not just trying to be the light of the world, I want to be the light of your world. And so this week, we're going to take a look at where he said, I am the vine. And so if you've got your Bibles today, we're going to be in John 15. And um, I'm going to say this verse a lot today, but it's John 15, 5. And Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now you read a verse like that and you kind of come away with this Marty McFly moment, like, whoa, doc, that's heavy. You know what I mean? Because Jesus just made a very, very, a very like bold statement. Hey, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're like, well, you kind of push back a little bit on that. Like, you know, being not real honest with you, Jesus, I'm, I'm not really a Christ follower, and I've kind of got things going okay. You know, I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got a nice car. Uh, I'm doing okay. But, that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about you can't have the fruit that comes from having a relationship with him. And we're going to look at that uh, here in just a minute, because I think it's really important. I think this I am statement of I am the vine is possibly one of the most important ones that he made about himself. And it's not just the statement that he made. It's actually the timing of when he made the statement, and who he said it to, because contextually, when we look in the Bible, we can't just read those verses. We need to understand who was saying it, who they were saying it to, why they were saying it, right? We need to understand that. And so the context of this particular verse, where Jesus says, I am the vine, begins in John 13, and Jesus and his disciples are heading to have what we all know as the Last Supper, Really what it was is a, a celebration. It was a feast of the Passover. And they're going to have Passover. This is something they do annually. And they're gathering to do this. And his disciples are with him. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, hey, let's, go, let's go to this place. And, and he's telling them while he's there, hey, this is the last meal I'm going to have with you guys. I'm getting ready to depart from you. And they're like, yeah, whatever, Jesus, you know. They're, they're not picking up on it. And so in John 13, they're having the Last Supper. and John 15 is where he says, I am the vine. and John 18 is where we see Jesus in the garden praying and they come and they take him to be tried and ultimately to be crucified and, and murdered. And so what's happening between John 13 and John 18 is dinner conversation. And it's really important not just who he was talking to them about, but, but the fact that this was the last conversation that he was going to have with him before he died. I want you to consider, if you will, if you knew that this meal that you were going to have with your family and your friends tonight, let's just assume it's tonight. This is the last meal you're going to have with them. Don't you think that the words that you chose, the things that you chose to talk about, would be very specific and very pointed? Very important. My wife knows that on the day that I die, the first phone call she makes is to our financial advisor. Babe, what happens if I die? Call Brad. That's right, call Brad. I said, well, actually, you can probably call all my family members, but the next phone call you make is... Call Brad. That's my wife on the first row right here, by the way. She's answered. Call Brad. I have, I, we know, I know in, the, in those last moments, this is, this is what I want to say to you. Call Brad. He's going he's to help you, he's going to activate our financial plan for the day that I leave this world. Call Brad. And Jesus is giving the call Brad moment. He's telling them this is the important stuff you need to know before I leave. Because I'm getting ready to leave, and you all are getting ready to scatter. You guys are getting ready to be very confused and very, like, it's not going to be the way that it's been. Heads up. Pay attention. Listen. So this, this, this verse is really, really important because he chooses to use his last few moments of conversation to say this to his disciples. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So why is being connected to the vine so important? In verse 1 of that same chapter, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, I, I need to put, put this whole thing on pause for a second, because when I see the word vine, I don't know how many of you are just like me, but when I see the word vine, all I think of is Tarzan swinging across the jungle with a leopard onesie on. You know what I'm saying? Me, Tarzan, you, Jane. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Monkeys following him, and it's like Lion King up in here. you right? That's what I imagine when I see vine because that's my context. I don't understand what a vine is. So I guess maybe we need to understand what a vine is, first of all. Jesus, when he speaks to the the, uh, disciples or to his followers, he's saying, I am the vine. He would have been referring to what is a grapevine. That's something that they would have understood. In fact, it was something that was very common to the Israelites, the Jewish people of that time. When they were coming into the land in the Old Testament, we find that they went into the land and scattered it out. And what did they come out with? Huge vines full of grapes. That was a sign that this is where God has told us to be. This was where God's blessing was. And so when they had good grape harvests every year, this is like God's blessing is upon us. We're being obedient, right? And so Jesus, they would have understood when he said, I am the vine, that Jesus is talking about a grapevine. Now, grapevines don't grow on a tree. A grapevine actually grows from the ground. It has its own root system and will grow up. And vines have a tendency to kind of intertwine themselves, With other things now, if there's nothing around them, a vine can grow on the ground and weave its way around, and the grapes grow on the ground, and those are considered to be wild grapes. Those are not the grapes that are sought after. No, it's the grapes that grow on a vine that wrap themselves around a a tree or that wrap themselves around a post or a fence. When those grapes grow, those are the ones that are sought after, and so that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, "I'm the vine; you're the branches." Now, the branches are just trees that are growing there in that area, or a fence post, or or, uh, whatever it is. is, Jesus is saying, you, being the branch, being the post, have no ability in and of yourselves to produce any kind of fruit. I'm the vine that's going to intertwine myself with you. I'm going to wrap myself around you. All that I am is going to be in you. When you're in me, I'm in you. Then you will bear much fruit. So we need to understand the context. And Jesus says... I am the true vine. Now, when he identifies himself as the true vine, and he used very specific words that way, if he's the true vine, that means that there are some false vines. Right? There are some false vines in this world that you and I can intertwine ourselves with. You and what are those? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's the rest of my message. <laughs> One of the false vines that we can intertwine ourselves with is success. We think that when we climb the next rung of that corporate ladder... In our jobs, we're like, man, you know, I've, I've, I've g- gained some success here, and that's, that's fruit in my life. But really, that's, that's a false line. Or we think our social status, like how we dress and how we look, and whether we've got the new iPhone 7, right? And it's not even out yet. We think we've got that, and we're like, man, that's it. That's what I have arrived. There is fruit in my life. Or we think that money is fruit in our life. We've got a great bank account, we drive a nice car. We've got it all together, and we think that's fruit. But Jesus will look at all those things and say, that's not the fruit that I'm talking about. That's, that's not what I'm referring to. We think because a celebrity follows us on Instagram, or maybe because they retweet us, or because of the number of friends that we have on Facebook, or, or because we've got the perfect house, we've got 2.5 kids, you know, we're married, we've got the white picket fence, we've got a dog that never barks. we got it all together. And the inside of our houses, of course, we're all just broken people but we think if we look good on the outside, then we've got fruit. Everybody thinks we've got it all together. We like that. We want to keep up appearances, but these things are not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. He said, if you stay connected to me, then you'll produce fruit. So if you're taking notes today, staying connected produces fruit. I'm going to sound like a broken record today. I'm going to keep going over this verse. We're going to keep going through it, and I'm going to go, what go! Break it down for you, all right? John 15, 5, again, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? If success and money and family is not fruit, what is he referring to? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul tells us about it. It's in verses 22 through 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the fruit of God's work in your life, when he's at work in your life, when you are connected to the vine, if you're interconnected with Jesus, the true vine, you'll have this fruit in your life. What is the fruit? Well, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. Yes, we sang that song. I can do it faster. Are you ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Woohoo!" Is my nerd showing a little bit? I got gold stars for that kind of stuff. (sighs) But when we start looking at these, the fruit, love, man, I want some of that. Joy, peace, oh, we all want peace, don't we? The rest of it sounds so great. And Jesus said, when you're intertwined with me, you can have these things. This is the fruit that he's talking about. When you're not intertwined with me, you, you don't get these things. I want to tell you a story because there's somebody, there's somebody here in our church that is seeing God bear fruit in her life. And that fruit is leading to some incredible things in her world that I'm going to share with you a little bit later. But her name is Misty. And bearing fruit looks different in everybody's life. How God chooses to act and what fruit he produces in your life looks different for everybody. But Misty, Misty somebody who's she's a faithful attender here. She's a partner with Simple Church. She's chosen to to partner with us and own the mission of our church. She stands up here and slaps the base as often as she can. She enjoys that. This is Misty. And Misty was coming to church one Sunday morning, and I was preaching a series back in January. That's just a couple months ago, called Jesus and We. And I did two particular messages. One in particular was about being big faith, bet the farm, risk takers. And Misty heard God speak to her through that message, and she decided to respond. The second week, I did another message, and it was about being a spiritual contributor and not a spiritual consumer. And Misty decided to respond to that as well. She said, God's speaking to me through these messages. I need to do something about that. See, she was remaining in the vine. She's intertwined with him, and God began to speak to her, and she decided to be obedient and to contribute more to the kingdom. God began to grow something in her. Now, Misty, just like you and I, had the opportunity when God began to say, hey, you know what? The big big, big faith risk taker moment for her was starting a business. He said, I need you to start this business. She said, I don't know. Misty could have pushed back on that. And when he said, I want you to become more of a spiritual contributor, she could have pushed back on that and said, ah, I already contribute. I play bass. I go to church on Sundays. I'm there, I'm already already contributing. I'm part of grow groups. God, I'm contributing. Or when he said, I want you to start this business, she could have said, yeah, you know what? I got a kid, she's on the swim team, she's really great. I'm a little busy. I've got a personal life. I got stuff going on. It's hectic being misty. Legit. (laughs) She could have pushed back. We kind of all push back when God tells us to do something. When he begins to move in our life and, and he wants to produce fruit, we push back, we're like, hey, don't you know? Can you imagine how that conversation went? Or if it went that way at all? Hey, don't you know that I've got a daughter? Like, and she's growing and like, God was like, oh my God, I did not know. Oh my me, I am so sorry. I, I didn't know, how long has she been around this earth? Wait, and you go to the grow groups and you play bass? I, I never even knew. No, that's not the kind of conversation God's having. God already knew that Missy was engaged that way. He already knew what was going on in her personal world. He knew the, the struggles that were real for her. And yet he put his hands on her life and said, I want to produce fruit in your life. I want to see something, I want to see something change. I want to see some fruit. So she had a choice to respond to that. The truth is, is that all these things that are going on in her life are gifts that God gave her. He's very aware of them. The same for me and you. He knows all about our lives. He knows how hectic it is. He knows what we've got going on. He knows the pains. He knows the successes. He knows the joys. He knows all of it. He's very aware of us. The Bible says that he knows and has the hairs on our heads numbered course, he knows about what's going on in our worlds, and yet, he still desires to produce more fruit in your life. Fruit that will not only be a blessing to you, but will be a blessing to others around you. I feel like sometimes, whenever God puts His hand on something in our lives and says, "Hey, it's time to do this," that we kind of push back a little bit, right? I'm reminded of the story in Numbers 11. Where the Israelites are wandering the desert and see what you need to know about them is that they used to be slaves in Egypt and God delivers them miraculously, which is why the Jewish people celebrate Passover. It's all from that. And now they're out and they're wandering the desert and every day they wake up, God provides, free of charge, by the way, bread for them to eat, something called manna. They just get up and every day it's laying on the ground ready for them to eat. All day long they get to eat and be full. True story. And the Israelites, they kind of get a little whiny. And they go to Moses, their leader, and they're like, hey, uh, you know, back in Egypt when we were slaves, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we actually had fish. It'd be really nice if we had meat again. (laughs) So Moses, Moses goes before God and says, hey, I'm I'm really sorry to bug you with this. I apologize that I'm having to ask, but uh, they really want some meat. And... uh, So, if you could just, you know. And God responds to Moses because he's not asking out of faith. He says, Is my arm too short to do this? Do you really believe that this is too impossible for me to provide you meat? I mean, I know you're in the middle of the wilderness, but do you think that my arm is too short? Moses has to respond, no, actually, I I guess I don't. I I guess I don't. And what happens? Well, God sends quail quailmageddon, right? These quails show up and just completely, like, are everywhere around the Israelite camp. They wake up, and they're all over. They can't take a step without finding quail. They reach up in the air and grab, and there's quail everywhere. He provides them meat. I I think sometimes we we kind of respond to God that way. But he knows what's going on in our world. He wants to produce fruit in our life. Nothing is impossible for him. And yet, we push back because we're like, ah, I don't really know if you can do that, God. I don't really know if I can take that step of faith. I don't really know if you can do that in me because of who I am or where I've been or what I've done. God, don't you understand? You, You can't really do that in my life. But who you are, where you've been, what you've done is no surprise to him. And yet, he still wants to produce much fruit in your life. The invitation is to be part of the vine. It's to be part of it regardless. And in Misty's st- story, she heard God speaking to her through the messages that I was preaching on this Sunday morning. And faith began to grow inside of her. Now, would you call that fruit? Ma? Maybe, maybe just like a little sprig. Like a little sprout. Sprouted up in her life. Some of you are there. Some of you are, have taken steps like Misty has. God's spoken to your heart and life and said, hey, you're intertwined with the vine. It's time to produce some fruit. It's time to take some steps of obedience. You're gonna see some fruit spring up. But the problem with fruit growing is that it takes time. A lot of us don't like to wait. We don't wanna wait. We we don't wanna be patient for God to do a work. We've got a friend we've been praying for. God, don't you know how far they are from you? I'm tired of waiting. God, don't you know that my marriage is a wreck? I'm hurting here. Don't you know that my body or my family member's body is in pain, that they're sick? Don't you understand that I'm dealing with addiction or that I'm dealing with anger? Or I've got bitterness issues. I've got problems, God. Don't you understand? I need this taken care of now. And yet the verse says if you remain in him, despite your circumstances, despite what you are going through, if you just remain, you've got to stick it out. It doesn't matter that when you're praying for your friend that they're walking further from God. Stick it out. Keep praying for your friend. It doesn't matter that, that your marriage seems to get worse even though you're praying for it to get better. Stick it out. Remain. Remain connected to the vine. Despite what happens. Because fruit is coming. Fruit is coming. Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will bear not just a little fruit. He said much fruit. If you're looking for a fruit forecast, there's 100% chance of fruit. If you just remain. Just hang on. I know it's difficult, but hang in there. Hang in there. Not you may bear much fruit, you will bear fruit. So staying connected bears much fruit, but being disconnected also produces nothing. If you're taking notes today, being disconnected also produces nothing. That's what this verse says, John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, You can do nothing. The next verse he says, in verse 6, he says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and are burned. I have a fire pit in my backyard. You know what kind of branches I'm looking for? I'm not looking for ones that are hanging on a tree. I'm not looking for ones that are connected. I mean, I could cut them off real easy. But you know how they burn? Not well. They've got a whole bunch of moisture in them. They make lots of smoke. It is not good for my fire pit. It's not good for me. Everybody coughing? Nobody's enjoying their s'mores? I'm looking for for some branches that have been disconnected for a while. I'm looking for some branches that are dried up, brittle, broken. Those ones, those ones are good for the fire, and that's what Jesus says we are when we're disconnected from him. That's all we're good for is the fire. When we're disconnected, there's no life in us. There's no power in us to do anything we can produce nothing. When we aren't connected, when we're disconnected, our attitudes begin to change, don't they? The way we look at things begin to change. The person that we are begins to change. Our very makeup changes. We become brittle, easily broken. One of the ways that we can oftentimes get broken is we become really judgmental of people we're looking at, you know. I know for me, I and this is kind of silly, but I, I kind of. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to, this is my confession, okay? Here it is. Anybody know what a pedicure is? I've been a little judgy about dudes who have gotten pedicures in the past. Like I want to take their man card and like clip it down to like just a little corner and give that corner back to them. That's what you deserve right there, bro. I'm a little judgy. Until. My... My wife and I were having a day out, and I just said, baby, I, I just want to love you. I want to do something nice for you. I want to, well, what would make you feel loved? What would make you feel energized? She said, I would love to get a pedicure. And I was like, yeah, but I want to spend the day with you. So I'll get you a pedicure. I'll just go with you. But I ain't getting no pedicure. She said, that's fine. That's... She was just lit up. She was just loving that I was going to love on her and pay for a pedicure and take her and just sit with her. And I was like, on the way over, I was like, baby, what, what, what happens when we go back there? And she said, well, they... They put you in this big chair, and it's it's got massagers on it. It massages your back. They leave you sit there for a few minutes just to kind of get you nice and relaxed. And I said, what? Well, that that sounds pretty nice. (laughs) I mean, I like massages. (laughs) I said, what happens next? She said, well, they got this basin there at the bottom of the the chair, and they put some hot water in it. And you put your feet in and you soak it. Oh, it just feels so good. Huh. what? That sounds really nice. She said, oh, but then they turn on the bubbles, and it just starts effervescing around your feet, and it gets between your toes and tickles a little bit. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. What happens next? She said, well, you know that they come in, and then they start, they start working on your feet. Yeah, what does that look like? Well, you know that rough stuff on your heels, Aaron? Because here's something you don't know about me. I got really rough heels dried out, and I've never had a pedicure before and I don't ever take a grinder to the back of these things. And what what happens is my wife would describe me as far as how I sleep as running a marathon in my sleep, right? My legs just go. And because all this stuff is rough back here, it's kind of like glass, shards of glass. And if you were to pull the blankets back on my bed where I sleep, the side where I sleep, it looked like Wolverine has been in my bed because it's just shredded down there by my feet. She's like, that stuff, they take it and they get it all soft and they just kind of scrape it off. So your feet are nice and smooth again. I said, well, I sure would love to have my sheets last a little longer. <laughs> I said, well, what happens next, babe? She said, oh, then they take your feet and they, they rub lotions on them and they, they massage them.
1: Because,
0: oh. see, she won't massage my feet. She doesn't touch feet. And I love my kids, but they massage like this. So nobody massaging my feet. I get a foot massage. Yeah, but then they then they massage your calf and they they rub you down with lotion, make you real nice, and it's just a great experience. Baby, I'm getting myself a pedicure. That's what it's doing. I'm, I'm getting myself a pedicure. I'm doing it. And I said, well, she said. I said. But what about the nails, right? And she said. I said. Uh, do I go with French tips or do I get them fully painted? Like. In, <laughs> I didn't do that. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. But I got myself a pedicure. Let me tell you something. That changed my world. Changed my world. A lot of you guys are going to go and experience a pedicure today. A lot of you guys are going to ask for my man card. Joke's on you. I don't have one anymore. I'm married and I got kids. It's gone, guys. Drove a minivan for too many years to have a man card. You know what I'm saying? But we do this. We get a little judgy, don't we? We kind of look at other people's lives and we go, man, I, I'll never do that. That guy over there, he's caught in the middle of an affair. I would, I would, never, I would never have an affair. And yet, when we're disconnected from the vine, we find that man, I never intended to be here. And you're caught in the middle of an affair. Or you say, no, 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 I'd never sacrificed my family for my job. And yet you find that You've missed so many ball games, you don't even know the name of your kid's team anymore. You, you've missed so much. Or you look at other people's kids and say, my kids would never act like that. <laughs> You're disconnected from the vine. They will. I personally believe that anybody is capable of anything when you are disconnected from the vine. That includes me, that includes the band, those up here up on the stage, that includes you and the person sitting next to you. When you are disconnected... He says, you can do nothing. You don't produce any fruit that is good for your life when you are disconnected. So we have to stay connected to the vine. Well, we're not going to produce any fruit that will lead to life. What we will produce is things that lead to death. He say, death, well, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, someday you will. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that are destructive in your life. Jesus says, I am the true vine. So, so we know that staying connected is important. How do we stay connected? How do we do it? What are some practical things? Well, these are some simple things that I know you know already. This, this is not going to be new for you. But I guarantee you the things that you avoid doing, prayer, talking to God. That's an easy way to stay connected to the vine. Reading your Bible on a regular basis. It's a way to get connected to the vine. Coming to service and actually engaging in the message. You say, Aaron, are you talking about saying amen? No, not, that's fine. You could say amen when I'm preaching. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying engaging in the message. I mean, you respond to it. I'm not talking about getting a gold star for attendance and being here. I'm talking about hearing God's voice. Here, what is he saying to you? How are you going to respond? If the living God is talking to you right now, doesn't it demand a response? You can be connected to the vine by responding. Can you be connected to the vine through a worship song? Absolutely. Could you be connected to the vine through having coffee with somebody and and, and that person speaks truth into your life in that moment that you need? Absolutely. Could you be connected to the vine by experiencing uh, uh, awe and wonder for God's creation by watching a sunrise rise over a mountaintop? Absolutely. These are really simple ways that you can be connected to the vine. The problem is when it comes to these things, we seem to lack motivation to do them for whatever reason. Like, ah, it's really simple, but... I don't know. Let me it down even more. Let, let, me, let me oversimplify it for you. Because there are some fundamental ways that we can stay connected to the vine. The first thing is we have to do what Jesus says. If you want to be connected to the vine, Jesus makes it simple. I'm not giving you a list of things to do, like to check it off. We just have to do what he says. He says in verse 10 of that same chapter, he says, if you keep my commands... You will remain in my love. There's an example that uh, one of my favorite pastors, uh, Francis Chan, gives. And he talks about telling his daughter to go clean her room. And he says, I told her to go clean her room. And then I saw her later on that, that evening. And I said to her, hey, did you clean your room? And she said, you know what? I memorized what you told me. You told me to go and to clean my room. I got that in my head. I memorized it. uh Huh? But did you clean your room? Well... What I did was I went and I got a tattoo in Hebrew that said, clean your room. And I put it right here on my arm so that everybody that saw the tattoo knew that I knew to go clean my room and that they would know to go clean their rooms as well. Yeah, but did you clean your room? Well, what I did was I got four friends together. We went to a coffee shop and we sat around and we talked about what it would look like if we cleaned our rooms. And we even studied out. What you said in the Greek, and the Greek word for clean your room is klineo, and we decided that it means to clean your room with fervor and diligence. But did you clean your room? Well, what we did was I went to a conference, and there was a specialist there, and he talked about what it looked like if we cleaned our rooms and how much better things would be if we cleaned our rooms, and he even gave us some really practical tips on how we could clean our room. But, but did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? Many of us here today, we just need to clean our rooms. Some of you are going to go home and clean your room. Preacher said, I need to clean my room. But I'm not, I'm talking about the proverbial, clean your room. What is it that God is speaking to you about? What is your room that you need to clean? Because, see, I think God speaks to us often. He's speaking to us through his word, but he'll also speak to us through people. He'll just put people in your life and say, you know, you really ought to consider this, you know, or I was praying about you and God told me I should tell you this. We have that happen to us all the time. You know your giftings are such that you could do this and you're like, yeah, I was feeling like God was leading me to do that. And you talk about what that looks like and then you just go on and don't do it. (laughs) Or you even come to church on a Sunday morning you hear the preacher telling you, clean your room and you're like, man, you know what, I felt like God was telling me to do that. I've had two people this week tell me to do that. The preacher's talking about it man, that's good stuff. I'm going to write that down in my journal <laughs> so that I can remember that today he told me from the pulpit to clean my room. We, we just need to do it. We just need to be obedient to what he's called us to do. Some of you, maybe it's a grow group. Maybe God's been talking to you about jumping in and, and doing, leading a grow group, whether it's a study or it's, a, it's an interest-based one. You're kind of pushing back like, ah, I don't know, and somebody told you. Do I you think you do great at that? You love on people? You can do that. And you're like, yeah. And then the pastor's up here telling you, grow group. Get started, grow group. That sounds good. Nah. Clean your room. Maybe God's talking to you about investing time with your kids because, you know, your time with them is short. And when it's done, it's done. And he's been speaking to you about it. (coughs) Clean your room. Or maybe he's been talking to you about being a little more selfless. Thinking of yourself less. Giving to others. You're like, yeah, that sounds good. That's probably a good idea. Clean your room. Maybe you need to invite somebody to church. <coughs> You're like, ah, I don't, don't know if they'd come. You never know unless you invite them. Clean your room. Jesus said, if you keep my commands, if you do what I told you to do, you'll remain in my love. So not only do we need to do what he says to do, but we need to love like Jesus loves When we do that, we're willing to yield our lives. We're willing to to do what he says, no matter what it costs us. See, we really hate this particular verse when Jesus says in John 15, 12, he says, my command is this. In other words, do this. Love each other as I have loved you. But see, we wanted that verse to stop right there, right? Love each other, period. Because we can understand that. We contextualize it to us, and that means I'm gonna love you until it hurts a little bit. I'm gonna love you as much as I can, but I'm not gonna sacrifice to love you. I'm gonna love you with what's extra in my life, the little bit of margin that I've got. I'm gonna love you that way. But Jesus has an emerald legasse moment, right? He bam, he's gonna take it up a notch. And he says, I need you to love each other oh, as I have loved you. Oh, Jesus, why'd you have to say that? we don't want you to do that. But Jesus had a problem among his followers. On their way to the Passover dinner, we find that the disciples are arguing amongst each other as to which one is the greatest among them. And Jesus, even though they're not arguing to him or talking to him about it, he knows that it's going on. And he decides to address it. He's like, fellas, listen, the greatest among you is the one who serves. In fact, when they get to the house... There's no servant that's there to wash their feet. When they walk on the road, their feet gets dirty. They're stepping in all kinds of stuff. And there's usually a servant to clean the feet of the people coming into the house. And Jesus disrobes and puts on a servant's garment and washes their feet and serves them. The greatest among you is the one who serves you. And he says, hey, guys, the way that I've loved you, you need to love each other. You need to serve each other. And then the next words out of his mouth are, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Some of you are like, I got this. I can do this, see, because what's the likelihood that I'm actually going to have to lay down my life? Anybody ever been in a situation where you've literally had to lay your life down, take a bullet, step in front of a bus for someone else? It's not really likely, right, that you're going to be in that situation, So we all sign up for that. Yes, I can lay my life down for you. That's fine. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. What he was talking about is at 2 a.m. when that friend calls, are you willing to lay down the fact that you need some sleep for them? Are you willing to lay down what you want so that they can get what they need? Are you willing to lay down your comfort zone, step out of it? This is where I'm comfortable. This is the world that I know. So that you can be a little uncomfortable and reach people that nobody else is reaching? Are you willing to lay down your life? Greater love has no man than this, that he's willing to lay his life down. Oh, and this is the kind of love that we're to have for each other. As a husband and wife, we're called to love each other that way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He laid down what he desired, what he wanted. Say, Aaron, how do you know Jesus didn't want to go to the cross? Because he said it in the garden. He's like, hey, God, you know, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass, let's find another way. I really don't want to die. But not my will. Let yours be done. He laid his life down. He said, and this is the way that we are to love you. If you want to remain in my love, keep my commands. Do what I say. So he raises the standard of what love looks like. And he didn't do that because he wanted to upset anybody. He did that because that's what the law does in our life. That's what God's word does in our lives. It makes us realize we can't do it on our own. The kind of love that we're called to is described in 1 Corinthians 13, and it says that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. See, to love people the way that that tells us to love is impossible on our own. It's not our nature. When we are disconnected from the vine, we cannot love this way. And Jesus said, Love the way that I love, because he needed us to realize our need for him, to love unconditionally. That kind of fruit we can't produce in our life separate from him. We have to be connected to the vine to love like he loved us. Now I'm going to wrap up Misty's story today because it's important how that fruit has played out in her life. What's happened when she decided to be obedient, to obey, and to love others? Because loving others cost her something. Loving others cost her laying down her life, doing some things that were outside of her comfort zone. Having conversations she was not comfortable with. And I'm going to let her tell you as we wrap up Misty's story here on this video. Take a look.
1: I was at church, and you gave a sermon uh, that really impacted me. And the gist of the sermon was to step out of the boat. And that's the analogy is you use. Do something you um, more I, I don't know why I keep come back to like just more much and I got to thinking about like what would scare me this year what can make my life more me more I guess and um, I thought about these scarves that I make and everybody's always oh you should sell these you should sell these I'm thinking well who would buy them who would buy them and so I, I decided that day well that scares me out of the boat and doing that would scare me, so that's what I'm going to do, so that's what I did, and, and I did a simple post, and I sold everything I made, and then you helped, it helped me make a website, and I'm continually selling from that, and doing other things that reach out, and then I thought, okay, well, I've done this. Well, the next week, the sermon was about not being a spiritual consumer, but being a spiritual contributor and you made us rank ourselves 1 to 10 and I was really embarrassed in my mind about what number I was because yeah I come to church and I play the bass and I do that but I love to do that, I would do that anyways but I wasn't contributing so I started thinking okay well I gotta get my number up, I gotta contribute and I kept thinking about you know what charity is and it's finding where there's much and putting it where there's need. So I was trying to think like, where is there excess? Where is there much? And where is the need? And I'll just facilitate the movement of that much. And um, so I looked at where I work. I work for Wasserstrom, which is um, the nation's largest restaurant uh, equipment and smallwares provider. And of course, so we have a lot of kitchenware. And I was looking through charities and. Um, Joseph's coat came up because they share a space with the hard food pantry, which I know we really deal with. So I contacted them, like, would you be interested in some kitchenware donations? You know, what can Walter do for you? And she was really excited and she had me come to the facility and I toured it. And we walked to the kitchenware section, you know, pots and pans and plates, and it was virtually empty, like, empty shelf. Bucket where they keep utensils, and there was like four knives, and that was it. Normally has. And she's like, yeah, this is where we struggle. People donate a lot, but they don't donate this. I'm like, well, I think I can help you. So I go to work and I write this email. That was scary to Brad Wasserstrom, our president. And in it, I changed the wording a bit because I didn't know how he would react to it. But in, so I told him, I was like, I wanted to be a social contributor and not a social consumer. And I thought Wasserstrom could help with that and that they would be a company that would get behind that. And he did, he gave me complete um, freedom to run this charity drive through the employees, but to take it even further. So we did, probably got a, 10, 12 boxes of stuff donated from employees, which was great. And then he's like, well, contact purchasing, see what is our dead products in our warehouse, things that we don't sell anymore. And they sent me this spreadsheet with, I don't know, thousands and thousands worth of dollars of product that was just a dead product. And he said, yeah, give it to them. So we donated about $3,000 worth of product that way. And then he was like, well, contact vendors. And I started doing that. And Rubbermaid jumped in and donated probably two or $3,000 worth of Rubbermaid products. And just recently, VolRapid. The nation's largest cookware provider has just just donated just this week a few thousand dollars worth of pans. And it's just see, to them it's no big deal. But Joseph Coat is so overwhelmed now with donations that they actually have to borrow warehouse space from next door, which their landlord is giving them for free. He's like, it's yeah, use it if you need it. And so now we also have Libby on the charity that has started, and Pat was the director of Justice She was just thanking me one day, and I was like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I was at church. I listened to the word, and I decided it needed to go somewhere. And I said, if anything, it's just a facilitator. Gave people the opportunity to give, because that's all they were looking for. And it's just moving from where there's much to where there is need. And, and it's it's. Brought
0: more to my life this year. Thank you. I love what she said there. She said, we have so much, Joseph's Code has so much as a result of obedience that they have to put it in another warehouse. That sounds like much fruit to me sounds like what God promised. When we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. Misty shared with me the to date, and that was in January when she began that journey, that to date, over $12,000 worth of product has been donated to Joseph's coat. Joseph's coat is, yeah, no, it's incredible. <clears throat> Joseph's coat is an organization, it's right here in Reynoldsburg, serving this community. They give free clothes, free shoes, free coats, free furniture, free housewares, microwaves, bedding, to people that are in need, to our hurting veterans, to those that are broken and just beginning their life anew. They let them shop there once a month, all for free. And now their houseware department is not suffering anymore. They have an overwhelming amount that they can offer people because of one person's obedience. One person deciding to allow God to produce fruit in their life, to love like Jesus did, and be obedient, stepped out of her comfort zone. It's a powerful thing, and I believe that God today is looking for those who will remain in Him. He's looking for those that He can produce fruit in. Our problem is is oftentimes we're selfish. We don't want to give up our comfort zone. We don't want to step out to a place where we might fail. Let me tell you, if you're not experiencing failure in your life, you're not doing it right. (laughs) You need to step out. You need to experience those moments because, in those moments when you fail, like Peter did when he stepped out of the boat and he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, and the Bible says immediately Jesus was there and pulled him up. Failure is not something we should run from, folks. But God wants to produce fruit in your life because, truly, at the end of the day, when a tree bears fruit, People don't look at the branches and go, man, those branches is nice. Those are a nice trunk. That's a nice tree. They look at the fruit. Oh, and it's the fruit that they want to pull off the tree and enjoy and share with others. That's what happens when we produce fruit, when God does that work in our lives. Because we remain connected to the vine, because we are obedient, because we choose to love like Jesus loved, we become something entirely different, something around here we call the shiny. When we become the shining, we become a light to the world. And people look at us and say, what is different about you? And in that moment, we point them to Jesus, because that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's pointing them to Jesus. We have to remain connected to the vine. We have to do what Jesus says. We have to learn to love as Jesus loved. And when we do, we will produce much fruit, fruit that will lead others to the true vine, and that's Jesus. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me speak first to the Christ followers that are in this room. Maybe you'd be willing to be honest today and say, you know what, Aaron, I'm having difficulty remaining. Maybe because it's some brokenness in your life or some bitterness or some anger. Maybe there's other pain. Maybe you've chosen to become disconnected. And through that process, you've connected yourself to another vine. Today, you, this is your opportunity to do what we call repent, I mean, turning away from doing that. To reject that vine and, and accept, accept who Jesus is again. Turn back to his ways, to being obedient, to loving like he loved. If that's you, I want to pray for you here today. Father, I, I pray for every follower of Christ right now. Lord, in some way or another, we, we disconnect all the time disconnect in our attitudes, and we take back up our old ways sometimes. But when we do that, we don't produce the proper fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that in this moment, each of us knows what, what those moments are. We know where we're at right now. I pray that we would, we would repent and turn back to you. That when we repent, we would find your grace and your forgiveness. That we would be set right again. And that you would begin to produce fruit in our lives again, that you would produce much fruit, that we would have the strength that we need to remain connected to the vine. And when we do so, Lord, that you would produce that much fruit and that that fruit would lead others to you. Lord, I I continue this prayer and I speak now to those in this room that are not Christ followers. You you'd say, Aaron, I'm not connected to the true vine like you talked about. I've been living this life apart from God. I've bought into the lies of the world that money, success, sex, stuff, drugs, maybe even a family or a career, that all of that is what life is all about. All of that is what will make me happy, but Aaron, I've pursued all those things, and I'm not any happier because of it. But today I want to get connected to the true vine. I want to see God produce his fruit in my heart and my life. And I want to begin that journey today. If that's you and you're here today and you'd say, Aaron, I've I've been missing out on the connection that I was intended for. I've been missing out on being a part of God's purpose for my life and I'm all done with that. I want to be transformed. I want to be made new. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set right. If that's you and you're here today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be counted on that prayer, would you just let me know you're here by shooting your hand up right now. Shoot your hand up now. Say, that's me. That's me today. I want to do that today, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Thank you. If you're listening today by our podcast or you're watching through Periscope, This can be your moment that changes everything. I'm going to pray, and I want you to join us. You can pray out loud, or you can pray in your heart today, but either way, you need to mean it. Prayer is just a conversation that we have with God, and it begins like this. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. Perfect, and yet you chose to lay your life down for me chose to allow yourself to be murdered and hung on a cross to die and that three days later you rose from the dead and when you rose from the dead you gave me the power to be forgiven, to be made brand new Jesus transformed my heart give me your spirit Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Jesus, be Lord of my life right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.